0: Welcome to Raw Relationships, the podcast that keeps relationships real and wonderful. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Welcome everyone to tonight's podcast. Tonight we are interviewing Darren Jacklin. He is a world-class professional speaker in his early 20s he was literally fighting for his life he didn't believe in himself and he had no self-worth he had no direction no focus and no purpose in the midst of that pain he made a commitment and promised to himself that he would find his confidence and give back to the world by being a resource for people in need of the same his mission has been to travel the globe and reach over a million people helping them to believe in themselves and to live inspired lives His training and development over the last two decades has enabled him to model effective leadership and communication skills, allowing him to empower individuals and corporations in both their personal and professional lives. So without further ado, let's welcome Darren to the podcast.
1: Welcome Darren to my podcast. I'm grateful to be here today, Melissa. Awesome. So for our listeners, can you give our listeners just a little bit of background on your story for us as who uh, you are and where you come from?
2: Sure. I grew up as a kid in uh, Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, small city of less than 20,000 people in population, middle class family, Uh, older brother, I had an older sister and a younger sister. When I was one years of age, my older sister died of a heart transplant uh, challenge, and uh, passed oh, away. Great to hear
0: that. Yeah.
2: So when I um, went into public school, this uh, I failed grade one of public school, and then was misdiagnosed with a learning disability, and a reading disability, and from grade one right through to grade twelve, through elementary, junior high school, and high school. I was put into special education classes because of a learning disability and a reading disability. And so I struggled all the way through school, from grade one right to grade 12. I was one of these kids that, you know, felt invisible. I felt I didn't matter, was never good enough, never smart enough, never worthy enough. So when I became seven years of age, I uh, created my first little business called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out in my neighborhood and shovel sidewalks in the wintertime deliver the Regina Leader Post newspaper six days a week in my neighborhood, and I would cut the lawns evenings, weekends, after school and summer holidays. And my neighbor was Pat Smith, and she became the deputy premier of Saskatchewan next to Grant Devine back in the 1980s. And uh, mm-hmm. what I did was I actually had her become one of my paying customers with the Regina Leader Post newspaper. I used to cut her grass and shovel her sidewalks. And so that really built some confidence for me. And all through school, I struggled and got to grade 12. Uh, what I did was actually to complete grade 12, I actually used to hire. I was a and b student in school, one of the lowest functioning kids in public school, but I used to hire the straight-A students to do my homework after school evenings and weekends. I used to hire the straight-A girls to do my work, and I would buy the Mary Kay cosmetics from one of the ladies <laughs> in the community. He used to sell Mary Kay cosmetics and yeah. uh, at, at a great time, and then left current Saskatchewan, and Moved out to British Columbia, to the Okanagan Valley, to a place called Vernon, British Columbia. Had no direction, no focus, no purpose, and I ended up doing multiple suicide attempts to end my life. I just felt that if I you know, ended my life, uh, nobody would miss me. I didn't matter. I felt invisible throughout my life, and I had a lot of negative self-talk and just really had no nothing going for me. I was just walking around like the living dead. I just hadn't fallen over yet. So multiple suicide attempts in Vernon, B.C., uh, driving my car to... 140 kilometers an hour, 85 miles per hour, towards telephone poles. And my final attempt, I realized, okay, there must be a better purpose here. So I drove into a um, nonprofit organization that had uh, guidance counselors and psychologists. And I turned myself in and, mm-hmm. and Vernon in Vernon, and, and met this lady who ended up doing uh, some per bono work with me and, as a psychologist. And then she referred me to a Dale Carnegie training program. I, I didn't know anything about who Dale Carnegie was or the book. You know, how to win friends and influence people. So I ended up taking this course, uh, this introduction to this course, and I didn't have any money. So I ended up uh, financing it over a course of a year, this 12 week program. And when I got into this course, it was, you know, I was like, wow, all these people are positive and they're business people and they come from all walks of humanity, they're supportive people. And so that, that transformed my life back in the early 1990s with my self worth and self confidence and public speaking and communication skills. And through there, Dale Carnegie trained. I met a lady. Eleanor Hatton, who was a schoolteacher, and she said, hey, i got to bring you out to a Toastmasters meeting. I, I had no idea what Toastmasters was. I said, okay. I accepted the invitation from her, and I went out to this Toastmasters meeting, and I was really quite inspired by the energy in the room and the optimism and people from all walks of humanity. Well, when they got a chance to introduce the guests, I stood up, and I forgot my name. I couldn't remember my name. Oh, I had no. a name badge on, but I couldn't remember my name. So mm-hmm. I, I got really scared, and my legs were shaking, and the lady beside me, she says, well, that's why you need Toastmasters, to overcome the fear of public speaking. And so mm-hmm. I signed up that night and joined Toastmasters, and it didn't have a change my life, and I met a lady by the name of Sue Urquhart in that program, I was doing my uh, one of my manual speeches, and she said, I believe that we have a chance to train and develop Darren and nurture Darren to become a world-class professional speaker. Well, I, I didn't believe in myself, she believed more in me, than I believed in mm-hmm. myself, and so I decided to go ahead and, and pursue that, and so I was terrified of rejection, so I thought, how can I get paid to get rejected? Well, why don't I become a telephone marketer, a telemarketer? So I got a job with McLean's Magazine, and we used to dial for dollars and smile, smile and dial right across Canada, and we, have to, we used to have to make 400 cold calls per shift to sell the magazine over the phone, and a high rejection with people rejecting us. And so what happened was I ended up uh, becoming number one in Canada after about seven months as a telemarketer, left there and took all the systems and strategies that I learned as a telemarketer. And in June of 1995, I created my corporate training business. And so I used to use the telephone books and the yellow pages of the different telephone books across Canada. And that was back in the days in the 1990s when long distance was really expensive. And, and I used to make all these phone calls. And uh, what happened was between 1995 and about 2001, I'd made tens of thousands of phone calls and got lots and lots of rejection, but I got great leads. And I used to do a lot of voluntary speaking and From there, from basically, long story short, from 1995 to 2015, over that period of time, I ended up traveling to 46 different countries on four different continents and personally trained developing over 1 million people, including 157 of the Fortune 500 companies around the planet. And that catapulted my success globally, resources, and reaching people from all different walks of humanity from all over the planet. And, And then in 2013, I got introduced to some people uh, with a small residential real estate company in the United States of America. And this guy was, uh, had set up this company and he was looking for me to be on the board of directors of this private company. And he had big visions. And from 2013 to 2018, we took that little company, myself and a team of people from just a few hundred licensed real estate agents in the United States of America to currently written out this interview. We're in 49 U S states, three Canadian provinces with over 12,000 licensed real estate agents. And, mm-hmm. uh, we're the fastest-growing real estate company right now on the North American continent. We're now on the NASDAQ, and a publicly traded company. And our first day on the NASDAQ, we get over a $1 billion U.S. dollar market cap. And so that got the attention of a lot of people around the planet. And so I do that. And then uh, currently I have a school in Uganda, East Africa that I support. We have over 500 children in the slums of Uganda, East Africa. And uh, mm-hmm. what we're doing right now is actually building a new school that will actually hold and look after over 4,000 children in the slums of Kampala, Uganda, East Africa.
1: Wow. Good for you. Good for you. So what – I don't imagine now. Uh, how is your fear of rejection now? <laughs> you know, it's interesting.
2: I'll, I'll share something with you. I'm
1: actually just closing
2: right now a $2.2 billion real estate deal. I've, in the last almost a year, I've raised over $2 billion. And mm-hmm. uh, we're actually building some ultra-luxury private arms right now in the Bahamas. And so I it's built my self-confidence. But what I find is – and here's a skill that I learned. Whatever you lack in, whatever you whatever you lack as a skill, you always make it up in numbers. So I was terrified of, you know, sales and so like that. So I used to do a lot of door-to-door sales. I used to do a lot of telephone sales, and so I always found that whatever you lack in skill, make it up in numbers. And the more numbers, the more people you talk to, the more your confidence builds, the more you get more successful. So, you know, it's funny because I, um, over the last almost a year now, I've raised $2.2 billion. I've met people who work on multi-billion dollar business deals. And it wasn't for the money. What motivated me was self-actualization of who I could become as a human being. You know, the people I'd meet, the teams I would create, the professional people, the best practices, the integrity, you know, all that stuff, the disciplines, the focuses things to do like that, and, and so I met somebody recently that they um, they really loved our business deal, they loved our finances, they loved our team, uh, they rejected us because our deal was under $20 billion, and so it right. shifted my mindset to realize how much financial wealth is actually on the planet, it's circling at all times, it's just looking for a place to go, so when I watch Shark Tank on TV, or Dragon's Down on television, or on YouTube, and people are looking to raise capital for their startup company, or their invention, or their business, or they, they want to... Build some you know, humanitarian project, there is so much financial wealth on the planet, you just got to have the right team in place, know your numbers, and have it packaged and presented properly. And you know what? The right investors will come by and, and support you on that and help you build out and scale it. And I'm, I've, I've seen that multiple times over the years and just over the last year recently, in regards to some of the people that we're, we're dealing with right now on the planet who are playing such a very high level to make a difference. But I'm really driven, like, you know, I'm building a $100 million net worth right now, which I'm on track to doing. And uh, on Wednesday, September the 1st of 2027, my charitable remainder trust is going to deploy $100 million and give it away to my foundation for global philanthropy causes. So I'm really driven right now to really serve humanity in terms of clean up our oceans you know, helping kids with education in second and third world countries, creating lots of jobs and lots of opportunities, and just really look at some of our biggest problems on the, on the planet right now in terms of humanitarian philanthropy thing and say, okay, how can I write a check and support people with that and really make a difference? Because we can rely on the government, but they move too slow. And most people as private citizens, you know, 76% of the North American population live paycheck to paycheck. So when you live in paycheck to paycheck, you know, you're in a lack and scarcity mindset, not an abundance and prosperity mindset, because you're just trying to take care of your own family needs and your children and your, you know, your future. So I, I realized at an early age that I've got to step up and level up and skill up and and move forward and be one of these people on the planet to really serve humanity. So that's what drives me. What really drives me is, you know, just making a difference and being a being a go giver on the planet and, and helping people out.
1: Yeah, and just trying to. Do good, and I think that's that's definitely an admirable quality um, because a lot of people, you know, kind of just look at it as how much money can I make for me? <laughs> you know, it's a very so true, very selfish thing. So I definitely have to applaud you for that because it's that's awesome that you're using your you know your own hardships to create something that is greater than what you probably thought it ever could be. That's got to be just hugely amazing to you, to look back and reflect on on those days, you know?
2: For sure, because I was a kid that was labeled most likely not to ever succeed, never go far, never amount to much. And so mm-hmm. in my life, when I realized, wow, I could actually do something. And you know, it's interesting because each time you take a risk, or a calculated risk and you do something that builds your confidence. You know, whether you're going in for a job interview, you're going on a date, you know, you're 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 having the birth of a child, you're graduating from high school or a college or university. Every time you do something, every time you take that risk, you know, for example, I was always raised, you know, never talk to strangers. And
0: mm-hmm. what I've
2: realized now from traveling all over the world, you know, strangers have everything you want need and desire in your life. So mm-hmm. I find with relationships with dating or people going for job interviews, you know, people are saying, Well, you know, you shouldn't talk to strangers. Well, everywhere I go, when I'm traveling or in airports like that, I'm always talking to strangers because strangers have everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah it makes perfect sense. What, uh, what do you think was the, the biggest um, thing that changed you when it came to your belief of not being worthy? Good question.
2: Um, you know, for me was I, I had a chance to immerse myself in personal professional development from going to the public library and listen to audio cassette tapes and I remember back in the nineteen nineties I listened to Anthony Robbins or Tony Robbins, his personal mm-hmm. power one program, you know, going to Dale Carnegie and Toastmasters and just getting around that environment. You know, I, I, I used to hang out with four financially broke people and I was the fifth. And we used to borrow money from each other and we never got ahead. You know, we're always struggling yeah. and beating up ourselves. And so when I changed my environment because I realized that our environment is stronger than our willpower so the big thing is environment. So me getting around the Toastmasters groups of people and going to different Toastmasters events, Dale Carnegie. You know, I was in the public library. And I always read personal personal development. And, you know, I've, I've invested over a million dollars of my own money in the last 25 years in a training development program. There was times where I used to sell my furniture and live on milk crates just to pay to go to a course or workshop because, I, you know, I can always skip a meal. But for me to meet somebody in that event or to learn something, because I was always a big believer, if I can just learn one technique, one system, one tool, one nugget of information, that I can leave and apply it in, into my life, it would be great. Or if I can go to some event and meet somebody who is playing a bigger game, like, you know, when I was raising capital, I've raised a lot of money over the years for different projects. You know, I always just stay at the cheap hotels because you get the free kind of breakfast the next morning and, you know, the you know, budget hotels, all that kind of stuff. And I used to get so discouraged and so frustrated. It used to affect my self confidence so much because I just was never succeeding. I was just I was always getting beaten up and never winning. And one of my mentors said that one day and he goes, Let's just look at your life. He goes, Where are you staying when you're on the road? And I'm staying at I'm staying at the cheapest hotels I can get, right? The days in, the Ramada Hotels, the Motel Sixes, all those places, the cheapest places to get to, because I just needed a bed and a shower. And when I realized the environment, there was never people around there in those environments that could write a check to raise capital. So I could never yeah. get ahead. And yeah. what I realize now is, you know, you've got to look at who's – when I was a kid with my rent-a-kid business, I used to go around and say, okay, who's got my money and where is it? Because I want to buy yeah. that bike. You know, I want to buy that new uh, snow shovel. And so I always said, man, if I want a new pair of shoes, what problem can I solve out in my neighborhood? Who's got my money so I can buy a new pair of shoes or buy a new bicycle Or, you know, go to the movie theaters with my friends or go to the candy store. So I just found just coming from a place of service because people are always looking for ways to solve problems. And whether it's cutting their grass, shoving their sidewalks, you know, going into a business to solve problems. You know, I'm on a lot of airplanes all the time. and I love traveling at the Passion Mine. And I sit with people all the time, you know, who are employees and they're educated and uneducated from all walks of humanity. And I just sat just, you know, 48 hours ago. I was flying from Toronto to Vancouver, Canada, and I sat beside this guy who runs a you know, he's a young guy. He's in his early 40s. He runs a big law firm in Toronto, and he's looking to expand across eastern and western Canada because of the Internet technology and artificial intelligence changes so fast. But we sat beside each other and had a phenomenal deep conversation. He got out of his legal pads taking notes, and, and uh, you know, him and I are still communicating to this day, just 48 hours later by email now, But he was blown away just by our collaborative conversation, realizing, you know, because he pays such huge financial overhead in his profession, and the liability insurance, and the legalities, and all this stuff that's going on to run a successful business, and his his overhead of his staff, and his licenses and stuff, and he's just stressed, because he's got Mm -hmm. his foot on the gas pedal to get billable hours, and so after he was done with me, because I could see things at 30,000 feet looking into his business, and seeing his blind spots, his underutilized assets, because he was taking that stress home to his wife and taking it home to his yeah. children. And he never signed up for that. And so I was yeah. able to support him and, and really give him some strategies and things to look at to really help him create less stress and more freedom in his life going forward. He's got to take the action. He's got to follow through consistently or it's not going to happen. It's just wishful yeah. thinking. But I really want to have him serve. I want him to become more successful. So he can buy back time, holy time to spend with his wife and his children when he really matters mm-hmm. most in his life. So give him that yeah. opportunity to have more freedom.
1: Yeah, and I think so many of us, you know, that's that's what we all want. You know, but mm-hmm. like that stress of you know, and like you said, those blind sights that they, you don't see when you're right in it. You know, it's always nice to have somebody that can can kinda of be on the outside looking in. Like I know with For the sure. coaching. That's what that's what I do as a coach is to just have a different perspective on the situation, so I can say, "Okay, this is what I see," and they're like, "Oh, absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even see that." And, and it changes yeah, your life, right? If you can, if you can actually listen to that and and kind of have forward movement. Um, my other question to you would be, um, what do you think? Um, as a child, what do you think? Do you think it was your upbringing that held you back? Do what do you think was was the issue that kind of held you back as a child?
2: So I had role models in school that were school mm-hmm. teachers and educators, and when they told me I would never amount to much, never go far, never achieve nothing, uh, when I was mm-hmm. put in these special education classes, uh, you know, I was told I was stupid, I was mm-hmm. not good enough, I was unworthy. Um, you know, you're always going to fail the exam. You're always going to be one of the dumb kids. Uh, you know, when I got into high school, I was told I'd always dig ditches. I'd probably work in a factory or warehouse or work for some union or work in the real world. And again, there's no, nothing wrong with those jobs where you need people to do all kinds of work. But it really damaged my self-confidence because, you know, I was I was the class clown in school because, um, you know, I was the one that was always working. Um, so I always made money, but I also bought my friends because I didn't have any self-worth. And yeah. I didn't believe in myself. And so I had to learn which I've done now, I spend a considerable amount of time from the inside out. You know, I meditate every day. I have daily routines and rituals I do that are non-negotiable in my life. I journal every single day of my life. I write out my goals 730 times a calendar year. Every morning, every night, don't miss a day. And that's discipline. I write out my goals a minimum of 730 times a calendar year, my top 10 personal promises to myself. And then every time I have a setback, a failure, a rejection, I go back to my journal and I actually write out my top 10 promises again. So I reset my mindset. So
1: I'm obsessed with that.
2: And uh well,
1: that's huge. I think that's huge. Like just to have it as a routine too, right? Not just every day. Do it here, yeah. there. You know, you have to. It's a it's a mindset. It's huge. I know meditation for me is is huge. Like especially mm-hmm. mindfulness. You know, being present, being in the present moment right now. You know, going into my three year old mind, and <laughs> just being there. Because I think it's huge. You know, you you have to calm your brain because there's so much chatter, you know, and and like you said, when you have role models, whether it be from the school, like in my case, it was my stepdad told me my whole life growing up, you'll never be anything. You're just this. You're just that. Mm -hmm. And for many, many, many years, I believed that. And, you know, not that I, I, I was fortunate enough to kind of rise above in a way, but I never saw my full potential I didn't, you know, I didn't think Mm -hmm. I could help people. I thought I would just be there. You know, I was just there. (laughs) Um, But now in my 30s, I'm learning, you know, as I go, that yes, I am worth more than what he said because in the ultimate grand scheme of things, he doesn't matter. So true. Yeah, and I think anybody, you know, uh, that's uh, the public education system kind of scares me. Actually, I have a a little one going into kindergarten this next year, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I just, I, w- I would rather just homeschool him because I want to be the <laughs> influence, you know, I want yeah. to be his influence on everything. And and I actually uh, teach him meditation. He meditates at night to go oh, to wow. And he says to me, we we when we started started at about three and a half, and he's four and a half now. And every night he says to me, "Oh, mom, we got to put the meditation on." Like he's <laughs> it's in his brain, and I'm like, if if that would have been done to me when I was a child, I just can't imagine. Like the sky would be the limit. Things would be so different, you know. So different. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I definitely think that's a huge a huge part of things. So what would be, what would your advice to somebody that's kind of feeling, struggling, um, maybe contemplating suicide, um, what would be your, your first, your words of wisdom to that person that's listening right now in that position? Well,
2: what I've learned from experience and traveling all over the world and meeting lots of people is we're actually selfish. When we're, when we're mm-hmm. stressed or we're struggling, we're actually very selfish because we're focused on ourselves. And the way we get out of the way of ourselves is actually going to serve other people. And mm-hmm. so if we're depressed and I've been depressed to a point where I closed the curtains and I didn't want to, you know, get out, I I've done multiple suicide attempts to end my life. And so I've been, there. I've been, I've had deep, dark days in my life. I've been plan- financially broke. I've, I lived on welfare for a period of time. I've been homeless. I've had my next meal out of a garbage dumpster. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've been down and out. I've been, uh, you know, I've been very low in my life. Uh, I've, I've been in financial debt where I've had debt, where I've had, Collections, season and credit cards, I used to have creditators show up right at my door. You know, I've had people show up at my door and looking for money, you know, when I was in my 20s and stuff. So I've, I've had financial challenges. You know, I'm also you know, a multimillionaire today, but I've earned that over the years through investing a lot. But the thing is, what I learned is from the key thing is, is that when we start to focus on other people and serving other people, that's the biggest thing. What changed my life was get out of the way of myself and helping other people get what they want in their lives, and not being selfish. So whether it's, you know, and a lot of times, you know, I I volunteered a lot, but the thing is, is that, um, you know, volunteering is great, but it doesn't pay the bills. And Mm -hmm. so what I learned was I used to, you know, mask myself by going to volunteer a lot. And then what happened was I realized through some training development with a coach that I was really good at giving to people, but I was really lousy at receiving. And Mm -hmm. so it was totally not fair means of exchange and out of balance and out of integrity. Mm -hmm. So I learned how to go out there and be in service and love and generosity and contribution, but at the same time be open to receiving. So it was a give and exchange uh, way of giving and receiving and to be in support of that. So the key thing is to find something you love to do. Another thing, too, is if if you've got people that are listening here that want to get ahead financially, my big breakthrough when it came to finances was something I was never taught in school, was that really financially successful people do not work for money. And that was like a slap in my face when I realized that successful people, wealthy people, do not work for money. They actually work to acquire income producing assets. That's what they do, is they acquire income producing assets. Yes. So you know, when I became a millionaire, I'm thinking to myself, wow, my accountant said to Wow, Darren, you're a millionaire. And then I became multi-millionaire. I'm thinking, wow, how did I do this? And what changed mm-hmm. in my life becoming a millionaire was was when I started to look at, you know, paying myself ten percent. So every time I got a paycheck, every time I had a client and the client paid me, I took 10 cents out of every dollar and I put it into an investment that would pay me a monthly or quarterly dividend of cash flow. And that's what I would do. And, you know, I live here in Vancouver, Canada is where I live. I have friends of mine, um, and I'm not soliciting this at all, but I have friends of mine that I show them just through – know, educating and informing them. They do their own due diligence. They run it by a bookkeeper, and account for their own comfort level. But there, there's investments here in Canada, in United States of America, that you can start investing for as little as a few hundred dollars, and mm-hmm. it will pay you anywhere between like 6 and 12% annual return. Um, you yeah. know, there's all kinds of ways. There's, there's so many ways that you can generate money. Um, something else to consider, too, is that, you know, the average millionaire in North America, statistically proven, has seven revenue streams of income. We don't put all our eggs in one basket. So I always yeah. tell people, I said, listen, your goal is to get to three income streams of revenue, whether it's your real estate, it's buying and selling stuff on the Internet, it's network marketing, you know, um, you take on a second part-time job, wh- whatever it is, but to have three different revenue streams of income. Sorry, I'm, I'm just on the road right now, so I'm, there's a little bit of background noise here. Um,
1: no worries. But what it is,
2: is is always have a minimum of three revenue streams because we live in a world today of fast change. Like I'll give you an example. We look at the government of Canada right now. We have – there's different statistics being thrown out there and different research, but as high as about 40% of people who work for the provincial federal governments within five years will be out of a job because of artificial intelligence. It's replacing people who do administration and redundant task work. So these people think they have a safe, secure job, but they don't realize that technology is at a high speed growing. And that technology works 24-7, 365, never takes a break, never takes a holiday, never complains. It's on autopilot 24-7, 365. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I've traveled the world. I've trained and dealt over a million people around the planet, so I've got a lot of experience a lot of you know, wisdom in what I've done. But I'm also able to see trends. I serve, you know, I serve on the board of directors of some very successful public and private companies as well as advisory boards. So I do see things very far in advance a couple of years before the mass of the population see it before people see it on mainstream television. So I see, like, now I'm under confidentiality grants right now with some artificial intelligence technology. I'm not an investor like that, but I've seen mm-hmm. what's coming down the pipeline in 18 to 24 months. And it's exciting. Mm-hmm. It's also very scary for some. And if people yeah. don't start to forward think in their mindset thinking, man, I've got to generate more than one revenue of income because that safe, mm-hmm. secure job is going to be outsourced, it's going to be eliminated, or it's going to be replaced with technology yeah. or another human being in a second or third world country in the Philippines or India or some other country, or it's going to be contracted. Yeah. And so the days of having the safe, secure job, those days are over. It's a pipe dream. You know, I travel, yeah. you know, I travel all over the planet in many different countries and cities and continents, and I do business You know, now over 50 countries around the planet in multiple different time zones. So I see things that are happening. And a lot of people live in La La land thinking, oh, it's never going to happen to me. Well, I, mm-hmm. I meet so many people every year that say to me, you know, I was in la-la land, and now, oh my gosh, I'm on the street, or I'm, I've got to sell my house, or I've got to sell my car. And so we got to prepare. So, so I, I sometimes, you know, the bearer of bad news feel, but I like to wake people up consciously saying, look, you know, you've got to start to have a plan. You've got to sit down and say, what is it I really, really, really want in my life, personally, and professionally, and write it down on paper, and then take action. You're going to be excited. You're going to be excited. I I'm scared every day I wake up. Every day I wake up because I'm always out of my comfort zone, you know, like I've had a major breakthrough in the last year on, 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 on vulnerability. I, I was always mm-hmm. scared to ever cry in public and I would always mm-hmm. compartmentalize things. And I'm a very logical guy. I'm a very, you know, I'm more of a task person than a people person, but I love mm-hmm. people, but I'm more task oriented. And I've had to yeah. learn to really dive into my heart and connect and, you know, deal with inner child work and stuff like that. And that was freaking scary. And I spent a lot mm-hmm. of time, and a lot of money on that, but it's a huge yeah. reward now to spend that more time with myself. And so you know, we've got to invest the time to working on ourselves from the inside out. You know, take courses, do meditations, read books, but actually get in the game of life. And I find the more experiential you can be, you know, like it's, you know, if, if people want to learn about it, financial investing, well, you know, you've got to you've got to take training. Don't just go out and invest. I, I get people all the time that say, "Hey, you got to get into this this deal or this investment or something." I said, "Okay, well, how many hours have you invested?" Learning about this investment, mm-hmm. how much time, yeah. how much due diligence have you done? Well, I find out, you know, like this cryptocurrency stuff, I, I, I don't do it. I, to me, it's, oh. less. it's too scary. Well, That's, every one of my friends that done it, every one of them has lost money. And some of them are yeah. selling their homes now. Some are going through a divorce because yeah. they, bet, they, bet on, they bet the farm on it and they lost everything
1: hmm My husband keeps telling me that. Bitcoin, Bitcoin. I'm like, stay away. My intuition just tells me it's bad. It's not good. Stay away from it. I am not putting my money anywhere near that.
2: <laughs> well, the thing is people got to consider is, you know what, people will always sell you the dream, and that's the upside mm-hmm. to every deal, but you also got to look at what's the downside. Now, I'm an investor, right? Yeah. I invest a lot of money every year in different projects. So I'm always, I get people always pitching me and they sell me the dream. I said, that's great. Sell me the dream. That's good. But I want to learn the downside. How do I mitigate my exposure to potential risk and liability? And how do I protect yeah. my capital? And if, if I yeah. go into an investment, if, if I go into an investment, I expect that I'm going to lose 100% of that money. It's not going to change or alter my lifestyle currently. And so if mm-hmm. that 100% investment gets lost and it changes also my yeah. lifestyle, I have not earned the risk to actually get into that investment. So I have to take a path. up. Yeah yeah and yeah obviously- also another thing to consider too about money is whenever somebody's investing is there's three types of money. There's calm money and step number one, calm money, cautious money, mm-hmm. and nervous money. And so whenever you go into an investment opportunity or someone's pitching you on network marketing or any of these kind of things, real estate deals, you always say, if I was to write a check right now, is my money calm, cautious or nervous? So if it's calm right. money, it's like a green light. Go ahead and do it, do your due diligence. If it's cautious, mm-hmm means you got to do more research, more due diligence, run it by an account, run it by your legal team, run it by somebody who's a professionally qualified person. And if you're nervous, run from the deal. Don't ever get involved yeah. with
1: nervous money. Yeah. And I think that's just a feeling, right? Like when you get that feeling like something is just not right, <laughs> you know? You betcha. Well,
2: I, I had a guy earlier today, for example, on LinkedIn. He kind of gets your LinkedIn a private message. I realized it was cut and paste. So I called him. It was a United States number. And I called the guy and I said, I said, I understand you're a money lender. And he goes, yes, I am. I said, good. Well, what can you tell me about money lending? And this guy Mm -hmm. found out this guy was over in Africa. This guy's in his phone number. And this guy knew nothing about it. He was just looking to take people's money for fees to do work and then scam them. And, um, you know, I found out very quickly in the first couple minutes why. Because I got Mm -hmm. scammed a few years ago by not following a due diligence process. So I learned from experience through
1: the school of hard knocks. Yeah, well, you have to. And I know, like, for myself, I have... Um, I have a couple different businesses that I, that I do from home so that I can be with my children because that's number one important to me. And uh, one of them, I have to recruit people. And they always, you know, some of them jump on right away and they'll, they'll do it. And then there's other ones that are quite cautious and they apologize to me. I'm mm-hmm. sorry I have so many questions. And I say, No, I'm glad you have questions. <laughs> that is a good thing. I want the questions. That's what I'm here for. I don't want you to just jump on it and Absolutely. then realize it maybe it wasn't for you, you know. Oh, it's yep. raining here really hard. Well, the the thing is that people want to do is what
2: I always say, whenever you're looking at an opportunity, whether it's a career or a job opportunity or a business opportunity, you want to imagine it's like a boat out in the water, metaphorically. Mm -hmm. And your job is to punch as many holes in that boat as possible to see if you can make it sink or make it swim. I have a good friend of mine in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, not too far from where you are, where you live. Mm -hmm. And a good friend of mine, he's very skeptical. He's actually would be – his career would be great as an insurance underwriter. And he's the type of guy you don't bring to a dinner party because people will say, hey, if he's coming again, I'm not coming. Because he he comes (laughs) across very negatively. But the thing is with this gentleman is he's very good at researching and fact-finding. So he's the type of guy I bring into a meeting because he's very skeptical. But he's the type yeah. of guy that's going to go through everything very methodically to see everything that can possibly go wrong in that opportunity or business deal. So what I do is yeah. I invite him sometimes for meetings face to face, like you know breakfast, lunch, and dinners. I'm meeting with investors, and what mm-hmm. I do is I have I have my friend uh, start speaking. So so guys come in to do a due diligence on a discovery, mm-hmm. and what we find is you know this guy's starting to poke holes in our opportunity. So I have my friend Michael start speaking. And he realized, wow, this guy that's sitting with Darren and Jacqueline right now is more skeptical than I am. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. they build a rapport with each other because they think they're a lot alike. And so I actually have mm-hmm. this guy as my due diligence, one of my due diligence guys that goes out other than an accountant or a lawyer doing due diligence to really start to poke holes in things. So, so consider sometimes we, we see people out there in the public that are really negative on social media. They're like, you know, they're, they're, they're tearing down our business opportunity or idea. Use those mm-hmm. people as an asset for your opportunity to actually help you with due diligence. Because a lot of times mm-hmm. they're right, and they can save you a lot of money and a lot of time, and they can save you from making mistakes. Others, and I wish I would have let Michael years ago because he would have saved me a lot of time, and a lot of money, a lot of energy.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think you don't. I was reading um, on your website. I was reading. I think it was on the philanthropy page. You have mm-hmm. a bunch of of sayings, and there was one there that caught my eye um, that said. It was to do with money, and it was to do with um, giving somebody just giving somebody money doesn't for sure uh, yeah doesn't make them um, great. You have it, to actually give them your support. And I you thought betcha for sure. Huge. Yeah, I thought that was huge. Can you touch on that a little bit before we? Well, I'll
2: give you an example. About. I'll give you a real life example right now. So we have a school in Uganda, East Africa. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, different culture over there, you know, they're in the slums of Uganda, East Africa. So their mindset Mm -hmm. is just a handout. You know, some church, some nonprofit, some white Caucasian person in North America who's come over to do an African safari is going to give their money all the time and do a handout. So Mm -hmm. what we do is I I don't support that. I don't support that Mm -hmm. at all. There's no such thing as a free ride in life. So what I do is I show them by training, developing them and educating and empowering them that, look, let's look at your land. Let's look at your natural resources here. Let's show you how to grow vegetables and sell at a mm-hmm. farmer's market. Let's, let's make beads. Let's make baskets. Let's take the students and the staff and start to make things for a financial profit, for cash flow, mm-hmm. so we can self-sustain this school. And mm-hmm. so, you know, in the early days, when we started a couple of years ago, they didn't have that belief system. They were very resistant and very against it because they're just, want, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. And so mm-hmm. what I always say to people, you know, you, you've got to find something that's going to be a fair means of exchange. And, and I don't mm-hmm. want to be part of a school in, in, in terms of philanthropy. You know, I, I want to build businesses that generate millions and millions of dollars in cash, so I can use mm-hmm. that money. Out, you know, I'm, I'm all for making tens of millions of dollars a year, all for that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be doing that very soon. I'm on track doing that in a big way with my investments, and mm-hmm. and I love that. I'm a capitalist at heart because, you know, I, I've I've already achieved a level of success financially. You know, once, mm-hmm. once you get your money right and you get your bills taken care of. You can then serve the You can then go build churches and pay for churches and buy churches. And, you know, I get criticized a lot. People say, oh, you're focused on making money. Well, listen, when I'm in a restaurant with my friends and the bill comes, nobody ever complains to me when I pick up the check.
1: Right? <laughs> yeah, no, no, you know, nobody, no, no. nobody
2: ever says, hey, Darren, you know, you know when, when some of my friends get in a you know, get, get, you know, business partner and they don't, they don't have good credit and they can't finance it, and I come in as you know, a partner, either raise the capital or money in, nobody ever criticizes me for the long hours and the time I put in to do that. Right, they mm-hmm. praise and recognize me and admire for doing stuff like that.
1: Yeah. So some well, people got to take into
2: consideration to look at that.
1: Yeah, and the fact is money rules the world. I mean, really, you know, sadly, I guess, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. And that, you know, if you have a mindset of, of a, a sense of lack all the time, yeah. then that's kind of where you get stuck. You know, like I know sure. that for myself, I raised two girls, uh, my first two kids as a single mom and I'd never, because I had my girls and I, and I, I just loved them so much. It wasn't a lack because I had Mm -hmm. everything I wanted and things just uh, worked out. Like the bills were paid and I I didn't have to stress too much. And, and same with now, you know, like I've always been an entrepreneur at heart because I don't, really want to work for the man, you know what I mean? No. I want to I want to be able to work on my own terms and and do my own thing and help people. I think it's always been my uh goal to help people to really be the best that they can be rather than to get stuck in that victim lack, you know, that mentality of of just mm-hmm. not having enough or being enough because we're all I think it's a birthright. It's something that we We all are born with, you know, this greater than anything. So we need to really live that way. (laughs) For sure.
2: Absolutely. Well, and the thing is to consider is, you know, we have to confront our belief system. And, you you know, I grew up in a middle-income family where, you know, my family lived paycheck to paycheck. We did all right. We never starved. But, you see, I was never raised on any, any financial intelligence. And so I had to Mm -hmm. confront my belief systems of what, you know, because I was living my parents and my grandparents' belief system around money. So Mm -hmm. for me to, you know, I can make money, lose money, make money, lose money. And so I had to sit down and confront myself and say, okay, what are my values and beliefs and actions and behaviors around money? What does money Mm -hmm. mean? So every time somebody would drive down the street that drove a nice car, I used to resent them and make fun of them and Mm -hmm. and think, oh, lucky, lucky bugger or something like that. Now when I see somebody who's really successful, I, I walk by and say, wow, I appreciate them. I admire them. I respect them. I honor them. Because the more mm-hmm. I can do that by admiring and respecting other people, then what it does, it d- my deserve level goes up and my energy is much different. Yep. yep. So Definitely. whenever you see somebody, even in the company, when you see people get a promotion, you know, I see a lot of people in union environments, government environments, they resent people who climb up the ladder because mm-hmm. it's such a scarcity mindset of way of thinking, right? Yep. But the thing is, you've got to realize that, um, you know, the way to get ahead is you've got to step out of that environment and say, okay, how do I go out and serve you know, like I had a gentleman the other day, I was doing some corporate training, and this guy's like, well, you know, you know, I want to get a promotion. I said, well, then do more work. He's like, I already yeah. worked my butt around. It. I said, listen, listen. I said, listen I've, I've hired lots of people, and I run companies all over the world, okay? I'll tell you something. If you stick your head up and you start working harder, you're going to get my attention as a decision maker. I'm going to want to pay you more money. I'm going to want to write you a check for money because if I don't pay you more money, then the competition or somebody else is going to hire you away from me, and it's going to cost me time and money to replace you and onboard yeah. somebody differently.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. I had a guy today,
2: actually, who works with me in the United States. And uh, I said to him, I, I was on a call with him today, and I said, listen, I'm not paying you as much money as you need to be paid. And he goes, what? I said, I want to pay, uh, pay you 10% more than you're actually making right now. He's like, are you serious? I said, yeah. And he's like, wow. He said, I've never, I've never never, thought about that. I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm totally for that because the more you pay somebody, the more they're going to do. Like I, I tell everybody that works to be in sales, I said, listen, I want to get you to a six-figure level. And once mm-hmm. we crush the six figures, let's go to half a million to a million a year. Because I want you to become so freaking financially successful that your money's all right, your bills are all taken care of, you're doing well, you're crushing it. So then once mm-hmm. you've got everything taken care of, now you can really focus on serving humanity in a bigger way. Yeah, uh, you yeah, you, you yeah. walk it's, down a shoe differently, you act differently. Yeah. So like, uh, yeah. I'm totally for that.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, your whole, your whole demeanor would change because you're not stressed about the lack of, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Well, there's no, no, I've learned from experience, there's no lack of money in the world. There's a trillion, you know, I met a first trillionaire family here in Europe here just last year. They have over a trillion dollars in assets, three generations of financial wealth. They come from the financial services and private banking industry and also a lot of real estate. And they have over a trillion dollars in assets. You see, the masses of the population are brainwashed just like I was, um, to believe that Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett are the wealthiest people in the United States. That's totally inaccurate and totally false information. And if people do a deeper dive on due diligence and spend some real time and energy surfing in due diligence, they, and I've met people who are far greater wealthier than Bill Gates and, and Jeff Bezos. I've had dinner with these people. I've been on their boats and their yachts and in their homes uh, from first-line first experience. So this is not something I read on the Internet or watched on Facebook or LinkedIn. I've, I've been with these people. And the thing is, but they're off the radar, you see. But the thing is, see, yeah. the Americans, the way they do things is they like to, to you know, sell the sizzle, not the steak so much. They like, they like the hype and the kumbaya and the rah-rah yeah. in business, and that's yeah. what it sells. People, you know what I mean? So what happens is when you see Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett and Bill Gates, they're financially wealthy Americans. And, yeah, they make mm-hmm. the Forbes 400 list, which is an American publication designed to sell more advertising. But when we look mm-hmm. at Saudi Arabia, we look at Dubai, we look at parts of Europe, we look at Asia, we even look at the African mm-hmm. continent. There are people in those countries and those continents that are far greater wealth through the financial markets, through the oil and gas markets, through, you know, various different currencies like that that are far greater financially. But you don't hear about them, and the average person never meets them because they're just living paycheck to paycheck, just trying to get by and pay the bills in the rat race of yeah. life. So when I meet people all the time and say, hey, I want to raise money, then you got to ask. I'll give you an example. Not too long ago, I was here in Vancouver, Canada, and I was going to a place called the Cactus Club Restaurant. And I walked by, and there's this guy right by the Vancouver Convention Center. He's a homeless guy, and I was once homeless so I could relate, uh, except for I didn't beg for money because I was I was out working an Apple Orchard for cash and selling watermelon on the side of the road. But this guy was begging for money to get a night in the hostel, which was $17. So I walked by this guy. I said, hey, I said, where are you at? And he goes, man, I've only raised $0.75. i got to get the $17 bucks here before it gets dark or they're going to close the hostel, and I've got to sleep on the streets again tonight. I said, listen, buddy. I said, listen, whatever you lack in skill, make it up in numbers. Start asking every person that walks by for $100. He's like, mm-hmm. you're crazy, man. You're nuts. I said, listen, you're already getting rejected asking for spare change. Yeah, you're already yeah, getting yeah, the nose. Yeah. So, start ask- so you change your ask, you change your results. Every person that walks by asks for 100 bucks. Mm-hmm. Got it? I'm going to go for about an hour and a half. and when I to meet some people for a business meeting at the Catastrope. I'll be by in about an hour and a half to check in with you if you're still here. I walk away, the guy thinks I'm absolutely nut bar, crazy, you know, crazy guy, right? Walked away, yeah. come by an hour and a half later, this guy stands up tall, he's smiling, he's raised $65 cash. He said, he said within a matter of minutes, when a guy walked by, a guy says, Can you give me a hundred, the guy says, I can't give you a hundred, but I'll give you a 20. He's like, I got a couple mm-hmm. fives and a couple tens, I managed to get $65, and this guy was asking for spare change before. He yeah. changed his ask, he changed his results. And he's got 65 bucks. He's cashed up. He's got a couple nights in the hotel if he doesn't build on drugs or alcohol or cigarettes.
1: And he's good to yeah. go for a few days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I know, like, even even with my own, uh, with the coaching business, you know, when, you, when I first started, it was like, oh, I, I can't charge this much, you know. I can't do this. I can't do that. But when I wasn't charging a lot of money, people don't think you're good enough, if that makes sense.
2: Well, I'll give you an example. There's a lady in, in Calgary, Alberta right now. She's a bookkeeper, and I've known her for, gosh, I've known her for over a decade now. And uh, she was working with uh, a big oil company in Calgary, and over the last couple of years, she got let go. They were doing some layoffs, as you know, with the oil and gas industry being in Alberta. Yeah. And so she called me up one day, and I was in Calgary, and I met with her for lunch, and she goes, you know what, I think I'm going to go on this entrepreneur track and start working for myself, but I'm really scared. I'm a single parent mother, and you know, I've got to pay my mortgage every month in my, in my condo and uh you know i'm used to that paycheck to paycheck i said listen how much you got savings goes, i got about three months and i've got some rrsps and some money in savings but not much the father's dead meat he's not making any child support payments so i said listen you're going to start charging 85 dollars an hour for bookkeeping she's are you freaking crazy because i'm making 26 bucks an hour and i'm on the Mm -hmm. highest pay scale right now for this oil and gas that's what i was making was 26 bucks an hour and i started Mm at 17 dollars I said, you're gonna start asking for eighty five bucks an hour. She goes, Darren, Darren, I need work. You don't understand. I'm a single parent mother. I need to get mm-hmm. I need to pay my bills. I said, Yeah, and you're coming for She said, You're a search she goes, Darren, 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 it's not going to work. In your world it does it doesn't work. I'm a bookkeeper. There's lots of bookkeepers out there. You can hire QuickBooks and get people for a lot less eighty five. I said, No, you're to charge eighty five bucks an hour for your business. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna up level your deserved level. So, anyways, she she meets this guy through LinkedIn. He wants to meet her in in person in Calgary. He runs a couple uh, companies, uh, Mm -hmm. does very well. Generates he does over a million dollars a year in business. Combined companies over a million dollars a year in revenue. He meets with her. She's you know she's she's all dressed up. She meets him at this restaurant, this steakhouse in Calgary. And uh, Mm -hmm. I said, listen, if there's a problem, go to the restroom, go in the go go in the little hostel, a little install and and call me. I'm on speed dial with Mm -hmm. you. So Denise Mm -hmm. goes ahead and she goes into the restaurant. She meets this guy builds rapport with the guy. She, the guy gets to the bubble. and I goes, okay, so how much, Denise, how much is it going to cost me to hire you to do bookkeeping from your home, right, for, to run my books? She says, it's $85 an hour. The guy looks at Denise and he says, is that it? And, and she got up and she, she ran to the bathroom. She calls me on speed dial. She goes, oh, my gosh, dear, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, tell me, Denise, what happened? She goes, oh, my gosh, let me pee. She goes, let me tell you what happened. She goes, I told the guy it's $85 an hour. And he said to me, that's it. <laughs> and she goes, I, Oh my gosh, he, he never got up, he never rejected me. He goes, That's it. I said, What does that mean to you? And she goes, he, I could have asked for more. He thinks, <laughs> yeah, he, he thinks yeah. he's getting a good deal. And she goes, yeah. yeah. I said, Congratulations. Get papered up on the deal, sign it, get a deposit, you're good to go. And she mm-hmm. goes, Oh my gosh. And so she's thriving in her bookkeeping. She, in fact, I just talked to her about six months ago, and she's not taking on any clients now. She's working yeah. from home, she's location dependent, she's virtual, she's raising her daughter. And she does all the yeah. booking from home from this guy as her client. She's making a good living. She's paying her bills on time. And she got a little money extra saved every month.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think, it. It you know, when you can get to that level, so many of us put our self-worth at a low, you know, at a low grade. And that's, I mean, some would say it's because you're humble or, mm-hmm. you know, this is all what I'm worth. But at the same time, you know, it depends what your service is, and how, you know, like for her, she's obviously good at it. She's been doing it for a while, so her worth is eighty-five bucks an hour. Maybe yep. to somebody As else, a it's one hundred and fifty bucks an hour, right? Yeah. It, what your worth is only what you put out there, and if you know, I know I learned that with the coaching. It's the same thing. You know, I can charge eighty dollars an hour. I can charge. Five thousand dollars for a package. But, but, if, but if I meet
2: you at a charity event or a dinner event, and you tell me you're a coach for fifty bucks an hour, I'm going to walk away. If
1: You tell me you're yeah.
2: you know, you're a coach, to successfully, you, you tell me you're charging five hundred bucks an hour, a thousand bucks mm-hmm. an hour. You've got my attention.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I can afford yeah.
2: your services at five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks an hour. I can afford those services. No, mm-hmm. no. Earlier days I couldn't do that, but I'm in a st- stage of my life where I can now. To so a lot of hard mm-hmm. work and hustle over the years. So you yeah. know, I I put people. You know, I you know, I'm I'm on. I'm on boards of directors and advisory boards where I get paid six figures plus equity, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas there's days where I would volunteer and, and they wouldn't even offer they wouldn't even take my information for free. Right? Yeah. So it goes mm-hmm. back to our self worth and of what we say to ourselves every day, and money's just a currency. You know, like people don't realize that even in the business world, they have budgets every year that they have to spend money. Time is money to corporations, right? Yeah. And so when we when we go out there and we solve somebody's problem or a challenge mm-hmm. in life or in business Uh, money's never a challenge. I'll give you an example. I'm here in Vancouver right now. I'm standing outside here right now. I'm in front of a yacht here right now that's probably about $500 million. It's got a private helicopter on the back here right now. I'm in North Vancouver right now here at Longsdale Key, and I'm in front of a a private yacht here right now. It's got a private helicopter on the back here, and this boat's probably used two weeks out of the year. And I'm looking around this marina here right now. I'm thinking there's, there's millions and millions of dollars that are just sitting here. And that's what people don't realize that when you walk around all the people, all the clothes, like, you know, I I had a lady the other day called me up. She's a good friend of mine from Kelowna, British Columbia. She says, Hey, Darren, I'm really in a bind right now financially. I got to, I got to raise some money. And I said, Lisa, I said, listen, I said, how many handbags and purses and boots do you own and shoes that you haven't worn or used in the last 12 months? She goes, Oh Darren, you haven't been through my closets. I said, well, I've never been to your place. And she goes, Darren, I have closets full of purses, boots and shoes. I said, I said, how many of you wore in the last 12 months? She goes, Darren, you know me. I'm, I have a shoe fetish, a purse fetish, and a boot fetish and a belt fetish. And I <laughs> said, well, I tell you what, you're going to have a fire sale. And you're going to sell these boots and shoes so that on online over the next 48 hours, and you'll raise the money. She called me just recently and told me that in one week she raised $1,700 cash mm-hmm of selling stuff she hasn't used in a year that was just sitting there taking mm-hmm. up space in her home, and she was stressed yeah. out because she needed some money for an emergency for her, one of her kids for the dentist, and mm-hmm. um, she, she, she just couldn't believe it. So what I always say to people, the fastest path to cash is look around your immediate environment you know, mm-hmm. and say, okay, what am I not using I haven't touched and used in the last year? Maybe that gym mm-hmm. equipment, maybe those dumbbells, maybe something in the garage, mm-hmm. maybe some golf clubs, maybe some scuba diving equipment, maybe a bicycle you know, what What do you got in the garage or the attic or the storage locker that you haven't used that you could repurpose and get cash right away 24, 72 hours, put it on your mm-hmm. front lawn, put it on the Internet, run an ad on Craigslist, and sell it, yeah. repurpose it, and give it away to somebody else and get paid a little bit of money to take care of your needs.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just be resourceful, I think, right? Yeah. Instead of being in that stuck position where you're like, ah, I don't know what to do. Because <laughs> we don't have money
2: problems in life. We only have thinking problems. There's no lack of money in the world. Right? No. Look, just, just, I'll give you an example. You look, you look at in the United States of America. I was with a gentleman here recently that is a rep for Red Bull. I saw him on the street. They're doing a promotion. I got talking to the guy because I'm always fascinated by why people do things they do. And, and I said, the guy I said, I said, this, your business is booming, man. He goes, listen, I just came back from a conference recently on energy drinks. He goes, you know, in the United States of America, the, the, the people spend over $5 billion U.S. dollars a year combined with all the energy drinks that you see in Walmart and, and the liquor stores and the convenience stores, $5 billion a year they spend on energy drinks. Pe- mm-hmm. People pay money to get more energy. Mm-hmm. And yet they don't realize they could change their breathing or they could do yeah. you know, aerobics or jumping jacks or just change their physical state. But they spend $5 billion a year
1: on yeah. energy. Yeah, and you know another thing that that I recently I I do a lot of um, when I reflect I do a lot of writing, and um, one day I was sitting there thinking about time and Mm -hmm. money kind of put together, and I'm thinking to myself I'm like time, if you're trading your time whether it be a job or a service, the money that you get back your time you can't get back. People can get their money back. So your time is invaluable, ultimately, right? So if you're putting a small price tag on it, it doesn't even make sense because then you're – it's kind of like a backwards kind of thing. And if if you looked at it from an analogy of if you had a bank account and you had no idea how much money was in that, you had no idea what the balance was, how you would use that money differently. You would prioritize mm-hmm. it in a whole different way because you wouldn't know if the next day you went and there was none in there. And mm-hmm. our lives and time can be the same way because we never know how much time we have, right? Absolutely. So I think we, people have to value their time at a whole different level um, than a lot of us do. You know? Well, here's something to consider. Successful people spend money to save
2: time. Successful mm-hmm. people spend money to save time. Unsuccessful waste time to save money. So I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. I, was on a, I was meeting with my director of operations today for the Darren Jack Group of Companies. And I was saying, listen, we have to replace you. She's like, oh, no, no, don't fire me. I said, no, no, no. We have to replace you in terms of some of the tasks that you're doing because you're becoming more and more valuable to me and to, this, to the group of companies. And mm-hmm. I said, here's what I want you to do. I said, every task that you're doing, I want you to write down how much you think per hour that task is worth. And I just want you yeah. to keep track of it for the next two weeks. Check in with me in the next two weeks. We'll sit down. We'll have a face-to-face meeting or do it by Zoom video conferencing. And I want you mm-hmm. to tell me what it is. And so what mm-hmm. I want her to do is I want her to document every task that she's doing during the waking hours of her day that she's doing stuff for the Darren Jack type of companies. Mm-hmm. I want her to write down, put a price tag to that. Then what I'm going to show yeah. her is how we can leverage that and outsource that and have somebody else do that task that's a non-revenue generating activity. right? So like mm-hmm. in my life, for example – you know, returning phone calls and emails, stuff like that. I have a virtual assistant that does all mm-hmm. that stuff for me in the Philippines, right? Yeah. I have people that work with me here in Canada, so I create local jobs here in Vancouver. I have people that work with me. But I also mm-hmm. – I'm, I'm in a global village, so I have people all over the world. So we got to mm-hmm. look at, you know, if you're a real estate agent or a financial planner or a mortgage broker or you're an entrepreneur or you've got a job, like, you know, like people say to me all the time, they go, man, I never have enough time to enjoy with my family. Well, mm-hmm. get the kid down the street to cut your grass, Right, like I, mm-hmm. I, 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 for years, have had a personal chef, and people say, mm-hmm. "Oh my gosh, you're showing off. You got a personal chef." I said, "No, no, check this out." I said, "The average North American spends on average of three to five hundred dollars per month on impulse buying at Costco. That's yeah. the statistics, yeah. okay, in North yeah. America. So if, if if you had somebody else that you hired for twenty dollars an hour, that you interviewed, that you found as a personal chef, you found them through Whole Foods or through a health food store, or you through a naturopathic doctor, you found somebody to be your to be your uh, personal chef, and that personal mm-hmm. chef came in for maybe two hours a day and prepared food for you and your family, right mm-hmm. They did all the grocery shopping for you. So I, I've done this, and I've, and I've shown people on spreadsheets, we've run the numbers, I've had my bookkeeper and my accountant to verify it for accuracy purposes. and I show mm-hmm. people that the average spend 35 five dollars per month on impulse buying, that if you take okay. that money and redirect it and repurpose it by having somebody go to Costco for you and do that shopping mm-hmm. for you and prepare all your food for you. What you spend in impulse buying, you can now make it up in labor, and it doesn't cost you any more money. And I'm living proof of yeah. it because I do it all the time.
1: And plus, you don't have to spend that time preparing because you've got. I save 20 good. hours a week. Yeah, by not yeah. cooking.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. 80 hours a month. That I get to live life to my own
1: healthy. terms. Yeah, it's probably a little more healthy. Too.
2: <laughs> so people don't realize it. They, they think, well, I've got a wife and I got kids. I got a family. Well, hire someone. Hire someone to be as a nanny and do all your. You know, clean up your house, do your dry cleaning, do your laundry, run your errands, mm-hmm. do your chores and hire somebody. And it's cheaper for you, you know, like, like if we look at the millennial generation right now and their stats mm-hmm. through, you know, ICBC here in British Columbia and different insurance companies that the average millennial today under the age of 30 does not want to own their own automobile. Why? Because statistics show that here in North America, the average person that lives in a major city only drives their vehicle on average of two hours per day. So twenty two mm-hmm. hours per day it sits stationary. So that's why a lot of these car share programs in major cities and centers across North America are becoming more and more popularized because there's a ride sharing program because the millennials realize that, hey, my car's sitting twenty two hours a day, I'm paying a lot of money for insurance and maintenance yeah. and fuel for it. Why don't I just co co share with other people with a ride share program?
1: Yeah, yeah, and just do it smart. And I think that's a huge thing is making the money work for you, not, you know, throwing it out there and just in hopes and dreams. And, you know, Absolutely. Things. Yeah, for sure. Well, Darren, how can people find you?
2: Yeah, you know, you can always Google my name, Darren Jacqueline. I come up on Google there, or if they want to go to my website and do a little bit more research, a little bit about me, if they also go to my website, uh, that will connect you to all my social media sites as well. Just go to com. That's triple W. It's Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N. It's Jacqueline, J-A-C-K-L-I-N.com. That's com, And you'll see me on YouTube, LinkedIn, all the social media sites, Facebook, and uh, I'm here to serve and make a difference in people's lives.
1: Awesome. Well, I definitely appreciate your time. Um, to chat with me and to chat with our listeners because I think uh, what you have to offer, the advice you have to offer people is uh, so worth more than anybody can ever ever imagine. So I hope that... uh, I'll I'll put the link to your website in the description on the podcast and also um, on my YouTube channel. And uh, I definitely thank you very
0: much for your time.
2: I'm grateful to be here and make a difference and serve people. Thank you so much for the opportunity. You're welcome.
0: That was another great interview, as always. If you would like to find me, you can find me on my Facebook page, which is Raw Relationships. I also have a group on Facebook called Raw Relationships. This is a group where you can ask for advice and just get support from everyone in the group on everything relationships, relationships with others, as well as relationships with ourselves. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to my podcast, and I look forward to bringing you many more great interviews from experts all over the world. Do you have questions? Are you feeling lost and confused about what path you should take? The psychics at Psychic Text Readers are honest and are to the point. They will help you through anything you need help with. Check them out now at www.psychictextreaders.com.